leaders and force multipliers. Before we jump into today's episode, we have some exciting news we'd like to share with you. First, you can grab the second edition of our book, The Founder and the Force Multiplier on Amazon, November 1st. As before, this book is best read together with your strategic partner. Coming soon, we are also opening our doors to our new Founder and Force Multiplier community. This community will be a chock full of networking opportunities, on-demand training videos, resources, exclusive events, and so much more. We cannot wait to share this community with all of our followers. Keep following our journey on our page so we can announce when we are launching. We cannot wait to see you there. On today's episode, I am so honored and excited to bring one of the most impactful leaders I have come across. And the best part is that I was his own force multiplier at one point in my career. Introducing Mr. Greg Schaub. With over 20 years heading national sales for large financial institutions, his proven leadership and ability to elevate client relationships into strategic partnerships has allowed him to build a vast network of relationships and industry experts, making him one of the most impactful consultants I have seen in the fintech space. Welcome, Mr. Greg Schaub, to the Founder and Force Multiplier podcast. It is not only an honor to have you here, we are so excited to hear about your journey, where you've been, where you're going, and what's left for Mr. Greg Schaub here. To start us off, why don't you tell our audience who is Greg Schaub and what is your elevator pitch? My elevator pitch. Okay, well, thank you for that introduction. I am a seasoned executive, spent most of my career at J.P. Morgan Chase running uh, large organizations around sales and around the payments uh, side of the business for the U.S. market. Uh, after that, I started a consulting business where I've had the chance to work with some also large multinational companies like Wells Fargo, ACI Worldwide, and other ones. And uh, in that role, have met some really interesting people, have dealt with uh, literally hundreds of companies over the years across all different industries, met entrepreneurs, have met you know seasoned executives, and some, uh, some force multipliers too along the way. So I, I try to let that sort of inform my uh, thinking and uh, help guide me as my, as my own career advances. Wow, that's so interesting. So Greg, you've sort of had traditional, non-traditional career, you know, trajectory throughout your life. Kind of share with us maybe your journey and, you know, pivotal moments that made you change or, you know, evolve differently in your career. You know, I have been, uh, I guess, as far as challenges through my career, uh, I jokingly say I've been blissfully ignorant of a lot of the things that come at you. <laughs> but uh, but I think the lesson in that, honestly, Manal, is try not to get too obsessed over the hurdles that come uh, along the way in your career. I have had the good fortune to have been the product of a, you know, a loving family at a time in this you know, economy when you could go to school at a reasonable price. So I was able to get a degree. I was able to get some good mentors early on in my career. A lot of things happened very randomly. If you really trace back how you met your, your partner or a good friend or something, it's, it's, you know, some of it can be engineered, uh, but, but a lot of it is random and, and putting myself in positions to be randomly lucky, I guess, would be one of the uh, secrets to success. And by that, I mean, you know, always taking a chance to meet people when you have that opportunity. 
and and try to be an interesting person on top of that, which we can touch on later. Uh, and I'm not I'm not always as interesting as I think I am, but I do think that having a well-rounded background, being somebody that has interest in just things other than the task at hand, can make you someone that's sort of fun to be around. You know, and as I look back on the career, the successful people, the ones that do well are the ones that tend to have good relational competency. And my little simple test for that is because we all have this intuitively when you meet people, sometimes you say, oh, that person's going to come up with the weight of the world on their shoulders and you're going to hear their problems and they're going to drain the energy from you. And then there's others that come up and you just love being around them. And so that goes a long way. And I always try to think about that, you know, whether you're on an elevator, in a meeting, wherever you are interacting with people, that it's really you that, you know, they're keying off of your vibe. And so you want to try to be as positive as possible. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. So there's so many things you said there that we can dive into. (laughs) Let's start with, you know, you said you had a couple of mentors along the way. What are some things that, you know, you, you really took to heart through your mentorship and, and, you know, that kind of changed some of the ways that you thought about things? Yeah, that's a great question. I probably had, I was sort of a sneak when it came to mentors. uh, (laughs) And by that, I mean, I observed people and I was lucky I was in this, uh, position where I had, in some cases, four or 500 people in your organization. So you got a chance to watch the force multipliers. And in that environment, by the way, you're two or three levels of managers sometimes. And so you found out who the good ones were. And uh, I always think about this reverse mentoring where you could see how they operate and some of the habits that they have that were really positive and take those. And again, if you're, you know, in a position where you're working with people day in and day out, that book gets written over time, right? So people's skills sort of play out. They have good days, bad days. Not every uh, day is a smashed success, but you kind of find out what their traits are and the ones that you uh, you can you you hopefully mimic. Uh, I kind of think about that as like mentoring. And then on the leadership side, just been really lucky. I mean, I've, I've met entrepreneurs. I've met Jack Dorsey. I've met Meg Whitman. I've met Jamie Dimon, of course, being a Chase, and and uh, and then some other really interesting with Gordon Smith and others. And these are individuals that have the skill to take really complex worlds that they operate in and keep them sort of simple, you know, and, and to communicate the problem in a way that uh, is digestible for, right. for the masses and for, for external clients and for, you know, their employees. And I always admired that. And so those are some of the people that I try to, to mimic. And, uh, and so I, I kind of think of them as my mentor, even though, they weren't aware of it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I actually love what you said about reverse mentoring also. And you're being very humble. Me being um, maybe a little younger in my career when I first started at Chase and coming across, you know, Mr. Greg Schaub yourself, who was running national sales um, for all of JP Morgan Payment Services. You know, there were a few things that I also observed from you, which I don't know if I've ever told you this. But Uh-oh, here we go. You- <laughs> Und- like- undeserved reverence. I could feel it coming, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, I will say being a female and being a minority in that space, I always felt like I had to be perfect and I had to be so buttoned up and professional. And I remember, you know, coming into your office one day and you were just so humble and you and you're like here are the problems and how do we fix it and you expected me to be the same way and be my whole self and I feel like without knowing it I subconsciously almost started bringing myself to work 
a lot more in my wholesome self because you in the roles that you are in, you always came as Greg Shaw. Of course, there's always like diplomacy, right? But, yeah, right. <laughs> but well, that's always- nice of you to say. That's really nice. <laughs> I, and, you know, honestly, uh, you, you, no, I should we should have done a disclaimer, right? Because you're right. We, we had to, I was lucky enough to work with you. Uh, and I think you uh, are a real force multiplier before that term was even applied, you know, widely. And uh, I can share with you some of the things that I think are important. And I think you exemplify this. And, and generally, when you meet people or anybody in your organization or even even anybody you work with, you want them to be, uh, I always say, professional, trustworthy and competent. And maybe the right order is trustworthy, professional and competent. And those first two are are just absolutely key. You know, just to dwell on that for a second, there, especially being in sales, people can weave a good story. You can always uh, you work with clients to influence a sale and get things done. But trustworthy doesn't just mean telling a lie or not telling a lie. It means being as straightforward and candid and simplifying the message uh, as best possible. And, you know, as you know, in organizations and even with you, you know, anybody that's accountable for something, that's sometimes hard to do, especially if you can take a chance to not say anything, even though you know about a problem or an issue and you keep quiet about it. And that tends to, you know, fester over time and not be good. So you want people that are that are honest uh, and candid and forthright and also uh, professional. And what do I mean by professional? That's everything from, you know, the basics of what we learned in kindergarten. But it matters over time. And, and showing up and smiling, looking people in the eye, listening, all those things are really important. Uh, and then the competence piece, I think a lot of times people uh, focus almost too much on that in that they're, they're worried about their expertise and they may be a more qualified individual, but in the long run, they don't always get ahead because they haven't focused on the other two as much. And then the thing I'd say about your role, and you were particularly good at this, when you think about a force multiplier, uh, they almost have to have, this is a weird analogy, but you almost have to have a maternal instinct about the business. You know, you, yes, you have to get along with your, with your, your colleague and your, and the leader, uh, and you're a team, but you're also part of uh, the, the, the leader wants to know that, that those around them care almost as much about the business and the reputation of the business as you do. And if you can somehow find people that, that care, that you could tell when they go home at night, they might think about the business a little bit in their free time. Uh, and I've had, you know, friends and people I've worked with, they say, man, I go home five o'clock. That's it. I put it out of my mind. And I think I'm not that way. I, I, yeah. I know people that are like thinking about tomorrow's right, not obsessively, but you just wanted to be a little bit of ownership in the business. Um, I think, you know, also uh, a positive attitude, which you uh, have, uh, you exemplify better than just oh, about everybody right. I've Thank ever you. worked with. Uh, and that's true because problems crop up and, you know, a lot of times problems are caused by people or at least, you know, if it's someone once said to me, hey, if you can fix it with money, then it's not a problem. And uh, maybe that's a big corporate you know, mentality, but people not so easy. Right. So you need people with positive attitudes that they're not going to be, you know, uh, willy nilly like they're they're candid about the, the obstacles in front. But but they're just positive about how we can fix them. Uh, and, and then I'd say. You know, that that force multiplier, the one thing I've observed that the really good ones are able to do is work with the leader and sort of expand that circle of influence for the leader. Think about, you know, some executives that when you're talking to their right hand person, you know that that message is going to get through to the right hand person. And you know that you're that the force multiplier is also going to be consistent. They're not going to say, 
oh, I know he said this or she said that. But what I think it's consistent and it gives the employees uh, more buy-in, right? You expand and amplify the message and the culture from the top. And I think that's really important. And those are some of the uh, traits that I think are really important uh, for the force multipliers. I love it. I love it. Actually, you you took out the answer for the next question before I could even ask it. I was oh, going to ask okay. you. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. I love that we're on the same wavelength. And, um, you know, for those who are listening, Greg was head of national sales. I was a business manager. And at some point, we crossed paths in our career. And I actually was Greg's business manager. So I was a technically chief of staff role in a chief of staff role for Greg indirectly. <laughs> yes. And many a time and all you would understand the problem and say, I, and you, you would take ownership of it. And I, I don't know if you remember some of these, but, but you would leave the room and I wasn't sure what the answer to the problem was, but I knew you, you had it. You, you gave me the confidence and again, you know, the trust uh, worthiness and professionalism. I think we both shared and uh, and so it was always a good feeling when when I saw you walk in the door with a, a big, uh, you know, deck for the board meeting or something like that that we had to prepare for. And I knew that you my future was in your hands because the messaging that was going to be put together, the data and all the work that goes into, you know, events like that are really key. And somebody like you uh, were able to handle it, not just for me, but for other lines of business and other business managers across your your career. Man, Greg, thank you so much. It was definitely something learned and evolved. And I just want to preface by saying I was able to be that force multiplier because you also allowed it as the executive and the leader. And I think that's a message a lot of people, you know, can really take from this because you embraced and opened up trust, right? And when I say trust, I'm talking about Greg would be like, here's the problem. (laughs) I would get a I would get a picture of a hand-drawn yeah. <laughs> presentation yeah. and Greg would be like, I know. <laughs> I remember, remember those, those days? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Greg would be like, but I know, I know, I entrust in you and I know you can give the story the right way and put the data that we need to tell this end result. And I, I appreciated that because you also gave the autonomy and the freedom for us to express ourselves and be like really bring our skill sets to the forefront. And so, you know, when you have that opportunity to do so, it's human nature. You work harder, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You work mm-hmm. harder. Somebody's entrusting you, you're going to show up, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, you're, uh, you know, somebody like yourself, Manal, that you, you had a set of strengths. I think we had some similarities, but really yours were, you, you had a whole different skill set that you could bring to the table. And uh, And listening to you a little bit, it reminded me that, you know, part of what I always uh, thought about when you get problems and with your force multipliers and your teammates is you, you really want to take those problems and and tackle them as a team. Right. Uh, because you don't always have the answer. And sometimes you, the problems, uh, I don't even say they go away because problems don't. They don't age well and you have to address them. But you also can't obsess over them to the detriment of the things that you're doing right in the business. And I know in the sales world, for example, I should practical ways of that. We'd have industries, you know, hospitality, financial, uh, petroleum, and you'd have, you know, 10 or 12 segments. And you would look at your reports and you'd say, well, we're doing really well in these three segments, but these two over here aren't going very well. And then you would put teams together to go figure out how to fix that. And you, and if you spend too much time on it, it takes away from the things you're doing right. Right. And when we were at, uh, we had a run there where we were the dominant player in e-commerce. And largely it was because we worked for a CEO 
uh, Mike Duffy, that just believed in let's execute on what we're doing right. Let's be best in class at it. Let's not ignore these other things, but let's make sure we, we work hard to keep our A position and our strengths. And if you do that, you'd be surprised sometimes how problems, things that you think are a real problem, kind of fade away a little bit. Right. Um, Right. So that, that was one of the lessons. And so I was always anxious to get smart people like you in the room and uh, others and help, uh, help solve and tackle these things. Oh, uh, Greg, you're so great. This is why you're so great. This is why I call you Greg the Great. <laughs> oh, please. Right. Again, more <laughs> undeserved. Uh, <laughs> no, no. So uh, I want everybody to hear this because and I kind of want to know, too. So you you've had an amazing you've built an amazing career. After leaving your corporate world, you're still so hardcore, like always looking for new opportunities, always finding um, somebody disrupting in the industry, getting with founders. Like you just have this natural knack to go see what's happening and how we're evolving and the impacts. And you don't kind of hold yourself to the industry you're in only, you know, share with us. What is your inspiration? Like what makes you get out of bed and go seek all this every day of your life? I mean, you can retire right now if you want, but you don't. <laughs> I hear this from you sometimes. Right. Well, listen, I'm dating myself here, but oh, oh, back in the day, there was the editor of Cosmopolitan magazine, uh, Helen Gurley Brown, used to say, "You can't, you'll never be too rich or too thin." And uh, that's probably not, you know, correct these days. But it is true that uh, if you feel like you you can be successful, that you want to keep doing it, and uh, you see this across sports. You see it you know, in all walks of life, I hope that, uh, you know, I can stay relevant and add value. And as you know, Manal, because we've, we've talked and we're friends outside of work, you know, I like, I like to help people and I like to be around people that I enjoy their company. And if you're lucky enough to have the resources to do that and the time, then, uh, and you want to stay relevant, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, you know, have had the good fortune of just being able to put my time and energy in things. And I don't even really think I'm his work, you know, kind of what, what I like to do. I and, love it. This is your and, passion. Uh, it is, but it's also, as you know, like sometimes we're, we try to be mission driven. You try to help people that are early stage in their career, younger. Right. And if you can give them an opportunity to get a job or get a leg up, then I think it's great. And, uh, and I'd like to see us do more of that. And if I'm in a position to do it, even if it's a small, you know, way, I, I'd like to think anyway that I, I still have some value there. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. So sure. every time, every time we talk, I am in awe of the knowledge that you have. And I know you read a lot. You listen to a lot of podcasts. You, you, you are part of a lot of publications. You keep yourself so well rounded. And you mentioned it a few times. Um, why do you do it? And what are some of the things that you've read that you feel would inspire, you know, others that are listening to this? I do it so that I can maintain, uh, I can, probably the world's biggest plagiarist, maybe. I think that you, know, you say it that way. Cause I, I, most of my thoughts aren't original or things I've read or listened to. And, uh, I can't remember to always credit the right source for it. But, uh, but a few of them that have been, you know, I found useful, uh, that, that maybe the audience would as well. Uh, there's a book by Adam Grant and Adam Grant has a podcast. He's a wonderful, uh, leader and a kind of a self-help uh, way and a very successful uh, person. And he wrote a book called Give and Take. And it's all about nice people don't have to finish last, as the saying goes. They can finish first. And he 
And he has a number of stories and sort of ways that that's possible. And that book had a big impact on me because I always think about, you know, the zero sum that we all uh, fight for, particularly in a competitive right. environment when, you know, outside. But if you really think about it, and if you have faith in people, um, most of the time it comes back to you. And, uh, and so I try to, you know, use that as an example and, and, uh, remind myself of that. And sometimes it doesn't, but you shouldn't worry about that. And it's, you know, people have their own uh, frame on things. So I don't know anybody unless they're just pure evil. And again, I don't really know anybody, fortunately, in that circle, but the people that you want to be around, as I said earlier, if they're, if they're trustworthy, you know, and, and professional, then I think it's worth always being positive and giving people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes it's even to the point where you, you define a partnership and you don't really know what it is. You just know that there's some synergies there. I had a leader once who we, we got together with a sort of a quasi competitor and he said, look, I just think it's appropriate that we have an awareness of each other, that when we're out in the market talking to our mutual clients, that we we say complimentary things and we don't, you know, trash each other. And so he built a dialogue around that. It wasn't collusion necessarily because they weren't really selling the same things, but they had interests that sometimes were adverse. And I, I looked at that example and look back to it often and just think that's the right way to approach things. So even if you don't know always what the outcome is going to be, sometimes it's worth taking a meeting or having a conversation with someone and just being candid and saying, you know, uh, what do you think a successful partnership looks like? Or what does success look like here? Or you know, how would you approach something like this? Because I'm a little stymied about it. Um, so that's that's one way. The other book that, you know, back to things that are useful, this one is really old. It's older than me, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> before I could read it. But I loved it. I got it from my son as a gift a few years ago. And it's a book by a guy named Studs Turkle called Working. And all it is, is a uh, he interviews hundreds of people about their jobs. And oh, wow. he interviews... And this is, is set in the 70s is when he did it, but it, it's still relevant. He interviews everything from the cab driver, the bellhop, the short order cook, the accounting executive, the professional athlete, the musician. He does it around the world. He does it for several years, and he and he just takes basically the interview and puts them in these books. And you you catch these themes as it goes on. He interviews a woman that works, cleans fish in a factory. And what, what I took out of that was – even that woman took real pride in what she did. She was the best out of the hundred or so other fish yeah. cleaners. And she knew it and she was happy about it. And she had a methodology and she was successful. And so whether you're, you know, you're playing sports, you're uh, IT pro, whatever you are, you want to be the best at it. And that's what kind of came through. And what else, you know, when I, when I read that, I thought, you know, you got to give people the benefit of the doubt when they come in. And, and sometimes we think, well, this person's complaining and making excuses. But everybody's got a, uh, you know, a point of view. And I, I have always sort of had the mindset, at least I try to, it helps if you give the person on the other side the benefit of the doubt and say they are working as hard as they can and they are genuine in their, uh, you know, desire to be successful. And if, if I can remind myself of that, then it's usually a pretty good conversation. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen and evil Greg takes over and, I think the wrong things about people, but generally there's I don't think there's bad bone in your body. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, there is. I really don't. So what are you reading these days? Oh, uh, not uh, <laughs> to get too political. I'm, I'm reading how, how, how to be an anti-racist, uh, which is a popular book right now, a little bit controversial, but it, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, it was a bestseller. Uh, and I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I like to read some novels and, 
you know, things that aren't necessarily uh, history is a big thing. And by the way, this ties back to what we were talking about earlier about being an interesting, yeah. you know, well-rounded person. Uh, when again, by the, the the vantage point that I had, I got to interview a lot of people over the career, hundreds of people, right? And always the person that it felt like to me that could stand out was the person not just that you know could spout out their sales results or their competencies or what schools they went to and prior work experience, but people that actually could do some things a little bit different, that had an interesting life outside of what we were talking about at work. You know, maybe they were a, a dancer, maybe they played in a band. Maybe they spoke a different language. Maybe they love to travel to different places. Right. Uh, and then you say, wow, this is an interesting person. And so that's a selfish thing because I always say, you know, some of the best salespeople aren't necessarily people you'd want to go to dinner with uh, and hang out with because maybe they just weren't that interesting, but they were good <laughs> at what they did. But I think in the long run, if you can, you know, surround yourself with interesting people, um, you know, it's, it's, it's makes it for a, a much more pleasant experience. So that's what I try to do on that front. No, I love it. I actually have this thing where I don't do New Year's resolutions. What I do is, uh, and I don't really, I have, I need a term for it, but I basically, anything that I don't know about, a topic, yeah. an industry, a country, uh, maybe a skill, I make myself a goal that the following year, I'm going to learn something that's completely out of my realm. Yeah. And so I remember like eight years ago, actually no more, 10 years ago, I actually took up and got obsessed and studied neuroscience. And I will tell you, wow. that was probably the the best gap that I wanted to close in my life because that changed me holistically as a person, as a leader, the way I approached other humans, my empathy and understanding, like mindset, mental fitness. I mean, so much goes into it. And I... I love that. I love that you do that as well. I mean, you're always, I could mention any topic and you could talk about it at some level. <laughs> uh, I, well, again, as I say, I am in uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. You're right, Manol. Just an inch deep. <laughs> but, you, you know, the, the, some of the things that you just talked about, uh, that's that's really great. And I, I applaud you for it. And by the way, your life experience alone is enough to qualify you as a highly interesting person. Just, you know, grew up overseas. Seriously, you, your multicultural background, your friends, family. I, I, I know enough about your background and story that you, you don't have to worry about, uh, ever not being interesting. interesting. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I actually, actually, there were two things that I read, um, about a year and a half ago because of you, two book, a book and a podcast. Yeah. Okay. Um, I read the Nordic way because you were reading the Nordic yeah. way and you couldn't yeah. stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And That's now I want my son to go to school <laughs> overseas. He's about to graduate yeah. high school. Right. And then I started listening to, because I've always sort of followed um, the core philosophies around, you know, humanitarian, you know, beliefs and theologies. And so you were listening to secular Buddhism and I actually... Now love that podcast. Go. Right. There you go. Yeah. Love it. it yeah. I, I, it, I have to uh, confess though. I listen to it sometimes at night to try. I fall asleep because the guy is so chill, but uh, yeah, I, I like it. So it's, good. it's good stuff. They're, they're practical lessons though, aren't they? They're really practical for everybody. Yeah. They're practical. They're logical. And what I like, it's agnostic to somebody's culture, religion, background, it is human to human. And I think that's, yeah. we miss that sometimes. We miss that yeah. human aspect. 
Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't know if this is actually fits in the Buddhism philosophy bucket, but one thing while you were talking, it reminded me of when we think about our careers and, and people we work with, sometimes people, we look at our careers as the next job, the next title, how much money I'm mm-hmm. making. And, and uh, somebody used the analogy of the soil versus the flower. And, uh, you know, the flower is the thing everybody wants. I want that. I want to be that flower. I want to be that one. But really what's important from a management of your, your career and your own success and long-term maybe happiness is to cultivate the soil, right? Which is, is to say those, those attributes around knowledge uh, in different areas. And it's much more broad based, but, but useful and things even like critical thinking and, you know, situations that you get into that require skills like that. Um, they apply to every job. And so if you're a force multiplier and you say, well, I don't know anything about financial transactions or, you know, accounting or whatever it is, dental practice, software, whatever the the business you're in. But if you're a a person that is grounded, can think well, can understand how to listen and you listen for the the critical points in a conversation and really dive into what the other person's needs are to try to solve them, that you're hardworking, that you can commit to following up you know, oh my gosh, that's so important. Just somebody comes back to you and says, hey, I got it. I'm still working on it. And then it's just, you, you give that person all the rope and time it's, it, that you can afford to, but it's so comforting. And so I think good force multipliers have those skills as well. And uh, and sometimes you don't have to be an expert in the industry. You don't even have to know a lot about it. If your soil is rich enough and uh, <laughs> you know, then your flower will bloom. Be uh, the miracle grow of soils. Yeah. <laughs> Some would say I put a lot of you know what kind of fertilizer on my. On my <laughs> uh, so tell us what what do you do that's not work book podcast related? Uh, you know I have a very as you know Manal like if you people ask me sometimes and you you ask this what what am I surprised at some uh, what would people be surprised at about yeah what are people surprised about what is something they don't know i i would say that i am the least uh, uh accomplished and competent person in my family that my wife is uh runs circles around me and it comes to all those personal attributes we just talked about that my children are smarter than me they're more interesting and uh and including the three uh that we have one of which has down syndrome and autism and he's 30 years old he lives with us at home and uh he's just a delight to be around but you, you want to talk about having to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and figure out the puzzle. You know, it's, right. it's that challenge. And uh, I always tell people it sounds worse than it is. And, you know, back to your, your point about secular Buddhism, this is just how uh, his life is. And I, I've noticed that he can be uh, like everybody has challenges, but he lives a pretty happy life. And that keeps it really interesting for us. And I, on top of that, I left the golf, even though I'm no good at it. I am uh, hopelessly addicted to running. It's sort of a habit-forming thing. I don't run. I'm, I'm basically a runner with a, uh, you know, I enjoy just doing two or three miles a day consistently. So I don't run, you know, very, very fast or very far. But I try to do it every day. And that eases my guilt about, you know, whatever other indulgences I, I consume during the rest of the day. So that's it. That's pretty boring. Oh my God, that is not boring. And you are not boring. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. It's so what's great next? Great to be with you. Well, you know, n- next, I, I just think I'm going to keep playing the music until, you know, the audience just fades away. And then, 
And then uh, that, that'll be it. It sounds like an old Spinal Tap movie. But uh, right now, I've been surprised at, you know, how many things come your way if you put yourself out there a little bit. I, I know LinkedIn and social media and these things do, these are great tools. They can help people. But if you can find ways to reach out to old colleagues and you use those tools and uh, strike up conversations, I end up getting connected as I started off this bike saying there's a lot of random sort of good fortune you have. Uh, I've, I've had that happen uh, almost continuously. Sometimes I have to prioritize and I realize I've got four things going on at once and I'm not going to do the third and fourth ones real you know, service. So I have to like tap the brakes a little bit and just tell them. You know, that's not going to going to work out. But I'm, I'm going to keep doing this for a few more years. And I hope that uh, we can have some fun and hope to help some people along the way. And you and I uh, stay in touch. And I want to congratulate you on launching this podcast. I think Thank it's you. fantastic. And uh, wish you all the success going forward with it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greg. Greg, it's always such an inspiration to talk to you. I always leave motivated and wanting to do something bigger and better. And you've always been that force in my life. So I oh, appreciate it. And I know everybody else is going to be so happy to hear this podcast and get a little sneak peek at Greg Schaub as well. There you go. Okay. Thank, well, you. thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate all of your support and can't wait to hear about your own success stories. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with the latest podcast episodes and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. We have a lot of exciting news coming through before the holidays, including the launch of the second edition of the book and the unveiling of our founder and force multiplier community platform. We are super stoked about all the new things coming through. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you back here next week.